always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. Welcome to the next episode of The Real Woman, a podcast about all things cinematic. My guest today is Cornelius Harris. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, and Cornelius is a native Michigander. Uh, why do you find that funny? Currently uh, working in Detroit. You are a prominent figure in uh the culture of Detroit, but specifically techno. Yes, yes, that's what I'm known for mostly. Uh, so, can you just give my listeners a just a little brief background on your your bio? Okay. Well, the easiest thing I can say is that uh, I actually uh, am into media, all kinds of media, and I used to go out to the clubs all the time because I was a club freak. Okay. And uh, I when I uh, moved to Detroit years and years and years ago, uh, I would go out every night I could. And I was uh, making music with other people. And at one point, somebody said, hey, uh, has Mike Banks ever heard your stuff? And I was like, no, who's Mike Banks? And uh, they took my stuff and passed it on to him, got to meet up with them, and uh, we hit it off. And eventually, uh, I started doing a zine, and he asked me, he said, hey, you know, how about you come over to Submerge and do some stuff? And that eventually led to me becoming label manager for Underground Resistance. Uh, later on, I started up my management company, Alter Ego Management. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who's in Detroit because I, I kind of love Detroit. You know, I, uh, I kind of fell in love <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here." So I'm really, I'm really happy about being out of here. So this is, this is cool. This is cool. Cool. Um, and you travel around the world uh, as a sort of cultural ambassador for Detroit, don't you? I, I do some of that. Yep. And I, but I will say this too. I think that all of the the DJs who go out and and play every weekend all over the world, those folks are really the ambassadors because they're taking Detroit culture, the Detroit sound, and they're spreading it all over the world. And some of these DJs have been to more countries and engaged with more people than a lot of people who have the official title as ambassador. <laughs> so I think that uh, these people deserve credit for the work that they're doing outside of just DJing, that they're doing some really important work uh, representing the city, the country, you name it, across the planet. Um, so the movie that we're talking about today is Run, Lola, Run, which is, uh, was, it's a German film. You've been to Germany. Yes, I have. Uh, Berlin, specifically. Mm -hmm. And this is a indie movie from 1998 that I would say is a cult classic. Not maybe not everybody has seen it, but I feel like most people of a certain age 
have seen <laughs> have seen it. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm 23, so yeah. you know, <laughs> in uh, dog years. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, but you know, yeah. no, I I agree though. I agree absolutely. It's a, it's a classic. It's a classic, and and I don't. I think anybody who is into indie cinema has has got to come across this film in some kind of way because yeah. it's just it's one of those films. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things we're focusing on today is the really never ending techno soundtrack. Mhm. Uh that is the the I don't even want to say it's the background. It's the background, the foreground, the every I mean it's there are there are scenes where people speak but for the most part it's techno music from the moment it begins to the moment it ends you know it's here's the funny thing i didn't even pick up on that until afterwards <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is one of the things, one of the things that I think that was really cool about a lot of films during that time period mm-hmm. is that they were a lot more uh, open to doing different things, and a lot more forward thinking in terms of the soundtracks and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know we've lost that in a lot of ways. I haven't seen, you know, the standard way of doing a film is to just hire an orchestra right. and have them do their thing, and and uh, you know you could have something happening, you know. 3,000 years into the future and they're going to still be using classical instruments. <laughs> so right, it's like, right, right. So, you know, it's... It's going to be John Williams right. or Danny Elfman. R- well, yeah, yeah. Because those <laughs> two guys... Both of whom I love. Right, right, right. But, yes, you could get a little bit more... <laughs> there's, there's room. Yes. There's plenty of room, you yeah. know. And, and, and you think about, like, uh, you know, not to, to jump too far from Run yeah. the Run, but you, you look at something like Scarface. Yes. That was done by Marauder, and Giorgio Marauder did a fantastic soundtrack to that. Yeah, uh, but it was all electronic, mm-hmm. and so you know I think that there's but very eighties electronic. I mean, well, there's a different you know there's a lot yeah. of synthesizer in there. They, well, that was very heavily eighties, absolutely, yes. absolutely. But the thing is, when you look at different time periods in terms of even the the the, the classical scores that are being used, mm-hmm. you will know. A classical score from the fifties versus the sixties, yes, versus the seventies. And why? Why? I mean, I, you're right, mm-hmm. but what is it about that? Why is it? I mean, like when I think sixties, I think um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly trilogy and Neo Morricone's, mm-hmm. you know, very sort of haunting, and um, and I think of. Like there's sort of the rise of jazz in 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 movies in the heat of the night and that type of stuff. Eighties, um, like we said, is a little bit more synthesizer. Seventies gets a little more funky. I want to say there's a little bit more of a I don't know, not disco perhaps, but like there's just a little bit more soul. I guess. Well, I think I think you well here's a thing to keep in mind. You had when you have people like uh, Isaac Hayes, yeah, and Barry White, yeah, uh, uh, Curtis Mayfield, yeah, 
you know, doing these soundtracks. And these are people who could take an orchestra mm-hmm. and make it do stuff that nobody else could. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, you know, you're talking about a whole other level of of scoring and writing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of people tried to copy what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there were a lot of bad imitations. <laughs> yes. A lot of bad imitations. You usually are. You know? <laughs> But, but yeah, those those guys pioneered the soundtrack in terms of taking it and updating it, yeah, and making it something that was current and music that you could could and would hear on the radio. Absolutely, you could hear the Shaft theme on the radio oh, and yeah. still do. Right. Well, and, and you know, look at, the, even the, in the heat of the night. Well, well, you look at Superfly, yeah, a movie that you know it's considered iconic in certain ways. However, the soundtrack. I think, without question, yes. is bigger than the movie. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. what, what Curtis Mayfield did with that was so yes. far beyond yes. what I think, uh, you know, anybody else could have come up with. Where I think, it, yes, and I think the interesting thing with Run, Lola, Run is you really cannot separate the music from the movie. Well, I feel like they just, they're like a package deal. Now, Tom Twyker. Yeah, who's, who's a, the director? Right, the director. He actually did a lot of the music for it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that that was something where, because um, John Carpenter would do that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, he did that in Assault on Precinct 13 and Halloween. Halloween, right. Yeah. So I think that there's, you know, sometimes a director has a vision. And they want to see it through, like mm-hmm. and, and and part mm-hmm. of and and I think it's really, you know, cool that these are people who recognize that the music is a part of the movie, mm-hmm. that you can't separate the two. And so, if you've got a particular vision, and you you've got a very specific vision, yeah, that you say, hey, look, I'm not only going to direct it; I'm going to direct the sound around it too. But you also have to have the skill because you can imagine oh. it. But you, can, I mean, I could, you know, think of music that for that might work for a movie. But there's no way I can create it. Well, yeah. I mean, he must have had some musical knowledge and training. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I, but I, I look at it like, you know, you've got some people like Stevie Wonder yeah. and, and Prince, who, yeah. who, you know, these multi instrumentalists, who again they'll have a vision. Yeah. And they'll just do the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, I know exactly how I want this to sound. But that's also Prince. I mean, who's going to do it better than Prince? Hey, hey. I mean, who's Prince going to look to? Well, that's that's it. You know? Um, So did, uh, do you remember the first time you saw Run Lola Run? You know, it's really funny. Honestly, I don't. And the reason for that is that there are certain periods in my life yes. when I would like consume films like mm-hmm. like food. Mm-hmm. You know, films films would feed me uh, creatively and, and inspire me in different kinds of ways. What other films would have, were on that list? Well, you know, I think, you know, throughout the, uh, the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. there were a lot of films that really kind of got at me. I mean... You know, Spike Lee mm-hmm. and all of what he did, that was some stuff that really pulled me in. Uh, you've got uh, 
a lot of European cinema, mm-hmm. like uh, like Run Lola Run, uh, like Diva. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Peter Greenway? Yes. And and the stuff that he would do. There were all of these really interesting things that were coming out, mm-hmm. and things that were very different from what Hollywood was doing. Right. Early Christopher Nolan. Yes. Was yes. in. Uh, one of his movies that I like that I just watched again recently is Following. Okay, I haven't seen that one. That's, I believe it's his, if it's not his first, it's his second film. Mm-hmm. And it's um, black and white, and it's uh, uh, noir. Okay. And, and it's just, you can really, you can really see where, like how he got to where he is. I yeah. mean, cinematically, how you can see that that through line, and uh, seeing it the second time, or maybe second, third time, this recently, I noticed, and I I must not have noticed it the first time around because I saw it shortly after it came out. There's a scene where someone goes and knocks on someone's door, and I don't know if this is. I can't assume it's coincidence. I assume he did this intentionally, but he couldn't have known. There's a Batman decal oh. on the door <laughs> that this guy is knocking on. And we're talking like 90, I have to look up exact date, but I want to say it's like 97. I mean, it's in the 90s, definitely. Right, right, right. Uh, years before he even had a clue that he was ever going to do Batman, but... Career foreshadowing. Career foreshadowing, <laughs> yes. Um, but no, so that's... What I do think is interesting is I is that the director, Tom Twiker of... of, uh, of uh, Twicker. Of, Twicker, okay. of, uh, of Run, Lola, Run, to my knowledge, at least, has not had another movie, at least at successful as this one. Yeah. Um, and... I wonder if part of, you know, Franca Patente, who's the actress, sort of um, blew up a little bit after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's wonderful. And before we get too far, I should probably say, so this is a movie that it does have a plot. Oh, yeah. It, there's a plot, but it, they really mess with it. The, the general plot would say a guy owes money to some drug dealers and he on his way to taking the money he loses the money and his girlfriend he asks his girlfriend to help him basically yeah that's it he's he's in trouble because he got on the the train yes and he hadn't paid and he saw the folks coming on the train and he got worried about that so he jumps off the train and then he realizes he left the money on the uh, train. Yes. And a homeless guy <laughs> yes. comes onto the train and he's looking at the stuff that was left. And so now uh, he's lost, was it 10,000? Oh, oh, I think it was like 100,000. 100,000 100, uh, marks. Yes. Which we, we talked a little bit about as far yes. as uh, the transition between marks to euros. But yes. uh, this was pre. This was pre euros. You know? <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, so so he loses it, yeah, and then his yeah. girlfriend has twenty minutes, twenty minutes to get him the money, or he's killed. 
Yeah, Essentially, he, yeah, he, something he, will he, happen. He assumes he's going to get killed. He if, assumes he will be killed yeah. if he doesn't have this money. And so from that point, once that's established, then there we see three. It sort of takes a, a little, um, I want to say a little DNA from Groundhog Day, which had come mm-hmm. out maybe like a year, a few years before. Okay. Um, a little DNA from Groundhog Day, and basically we see three scenarios of the girl hanging up the phone and running, and and we see three different ways of how she got, how is she going to get the money, if she's going to get the money, from where or whom will she get the money, and will she get to him in time to give him the money and save his life. Right. And so they, you know, and there's a great, I love the, the sequences when she's running out down the stairs because, and I, I, I watched this, I was telling him, I, when I rewatched it, I watched it with the commentary because mm-hmm. I always think it's interesting to see, uh, to hear what, not just the director, but the actors think about it, um, you know, with some distance. Mm-hmm. And they said, the director said, basically, the, the scenes where she's running down the stairs are animated. Mm-hmm. And each one is animated, uh, slightly different. And it was because, A, he wanted to save his actress, having to run down the stairs every all those times. But also... He wanted to save the audience because he thought, well, it could be boring to just watch someone running downstairs three times. But if we do it in animation, we can have her doing different acrobatics. You know, she jumps over a dog and there's a, she slides down this and she. You know, the thing about it is, it, it very much comes off like a, a bit of an extended music video. Oh, definitely. And so that's definitely. the thing about Who's it the? Too. Who would you say the... If we're talking 98 when this movie came out, who would have been the group that would have put this video out, do you think, at that time? Well, I'm going to say as far as directors, the person that came to mind was uh, Gondry, Michelle oh, Gondry. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You yes. know, that's... That's honestly the first thing I thought about yes. when I saw the the animated, you know, pieces of it. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of, and and I and I love Michelle Gondry, so let's just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, I I love I love what he does. So, I wanted to bring a little bit of attention yeah. to the 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 beginning. Yes, the clock the, ticking. Well, the quotes. Yes, 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 the quotes. One is T.S. Eliot. Right, T.S. Eliot. And it's, at the end of our exploring, we shall not cease from exploration. At the end of all of our exploring, will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. And then the other quote. Which sort of speaks to the, how, the, the, the going back and doing it all over again three times since the different I, I scenarios. I think so, I think so. And I think that... In some ways, now let's let's just let's just talk <laughs> because you know there's a 
Yeah, not not. No, I have not seen the director's commentary, so mm-hmm. all of what I'm saying is coming from just whatever. Okay, okay, okay. But the thing is, when I was watching it, I thought this is one of those. Uh, you know, they say like with, with time, you know, time can diverge, mm-hmm. and you've got these different timelines, mm-hmm. and different things happen in these timelines. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking. Ultimately, what's happening is uh, Lola is going through these different timelines because you'll notice that there are times when it's almost like she'll remember something or someone will remember something from, oh, she definitely from the does. other timeline. Oh, she definitely does yeah. with the gun. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the thing is that, you know, she's going through this. And we know it at the end, at the very, very end of the final run. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're okay? And she kind of gives him a look like... Right. She's been through this. You don't know what I've gone through to get <laughs> to this point. Well, and, that's yeah. it. and then there's, there's a, a... It's like she's going through it repeatedly. And then I want to say there's a lady, an older lady, who perceives time as well. Or perceives... I don't think... I think... I, I mean, I don't know. I think Lola is the only one who goes through... Um, who goes through them all and is aware of it. I mean, there are other people who are in each set. Like, um, do you mean the old lady that she runs by on the street? Yeah. I don't think that that lady is aware of the other timeline. Oh, okay. I could okay, be well, wrong. We'll see. No. But I don't think that she's aware of the other timelines. Okay. I, thought, I, thought she... I think we see she has a different life. Mm-hmm. in different timelines. Right. And just so people are not completely confused, um, each time Lola runs uh, to save her boyfriend, she uh, bumps into uh, people. And when she bumps into someone, you get a very like 10-second montage of what that person's life is like for the rest of their lives. Yep, thanks to that chance encounter. Yes, and it's sort of, I kind of um, likened it, I actually wrote it down when I was watching it, the the butterfly effect. Right. You know, like a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil and there's a tsunami in Japan or something. I mean, it's something like that. Yeah. So uh, she, because one point she bumps into the old lady and, the, and she, I think, um, ends up going to jail or ends up... Has a, it's not a good ending for yeah, that lady. Yeah. And then at one point, another time, she doesn't bump into her. Right. She says, "Excuse me," and the woman, like, has a positive life. Right. Has a more positive outcome. Um, and that happens with the young guy. Yeah. Well, yes. So, so let's let's just also put out there that each time, at least the first two times, that. Lola runs to try to save her boyfriend. Something really bad happens. Yes. Uh, I think the first time she gets shot. Yes. And then what, what happened the second time? The, uh, I think he's killed the yeah, second yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, he's killed. And then he's run over by think oh, by oh yes he gets hit by, by the ambulance. Yes, yes. Who has and who's the passenger in the ambulance? Was the um. It was the security guard who was at the bank the first time. Right, right. So in the first scenario where she's running to save her boyfriend, she runs to 
the bank where her father works. Right. To ask for the money from from her father. Right. And there's sort of a kind of creepy old security guard who works there who acts creepy with her and inappropriately. Yes. And he's the person, the second scenario that she's running to save her boyfriend, he's has a heart attack at the bank and is in the ambulance. Yeah. And she, and he might be the only one, if there's someone else who experiences the, the, the both timelines, I think it might be him. Because mm-hmm. they kind of have a moment. Yeah, yeah. And that's, see, that's what I'm saying. It's like, but I'm I'm all I'm almost willing to say that those people experiencing those things it's like deja vu. Yes. You know, yes, they're and, probably not as aware of it. You know, excuse me, as aware of it as she is. Yeah, so like and that's actually an interesting concept. When we have deja vu, maybe we're in somebody <laughs> else's Lola. <laughs> yes. We're somebody, yeah. you know, somebody else's our Lola. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And we're just remembering other timelines where we. But what? But 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 what if it happens when you're by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you're your own Lola. That's right. That's right. I am my own Lola. That's uh, that's a t-shirt. That is, that is a t-shirt. <laughs> that is a t-shirt. I am my own Lola. Yes. Um, so I think that that, I think that T.S. Eliot quote, though, definitely speaks to that sort of circular. Well, and then, and then I think also it's that thing of, you know, yeah, you experience something and it sometimes brings you back to where you started. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, much more figuratively than literally. Yeah. But. You know, and in her case, it's literal. Yeah. But I think that's the thing is that each time you learn something. You gain a little bit of knowledge. Yeah. And, and so you're able to come back to the situation, like, because situations repeat. Right. You know, right. You, you're in a situation and, you know, very, very few of our situations are unique. You know, we, we go through things repeatedly. Yes. You know, you, you get in an argument on the job or you. Yeah. You, you know, you get stuck in traffic or whatever. These things yeah. happen and they happen Life. over and over again. Right, <laughs> right. So it's that thing of you go through these things and then you arrive back at that same point, but you handle it differently right? because of you already having experienced it at some point in time. Well, I mean, I think even, you know, relationships, you at, you come out of one relationship, you go into another relationship, you act a little differently Absolutely. because of the last relationship you were in. That's right. Whether it was positive, negative, it doesn't, you know, whatever that last relationship was, aka baggage, <laughs> we go into the next relationship yeah. and we act differently. Right. It's, it's those that act the same that have issues <laughs> that, don't, that don't learn from the previous, that, which are... That end up in the, a lot of trouble. Exactly. The, there, but there is a second quote. Yes. Uh, After the game is before the game by uh, Sepp Herberger. Who, and I didn't know this. I didn't, you might have known this. He was, is, I guess, a, a very famous German soccer coach. And so this was something the director said in the commentary that um, basically when, when Germans watch that movie, 
When they see that, they laugh because they know it'd be like it'd be like um, starting a movie with a quote from Bo Schembechler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> For University of Michigan fans out there, <laughs> um, Bo. Bo um, so it was. It's he's prominent in German sports culture. Well, but I but I think that that also plays into what we we're talking about because again, you know, the idea is that. Uh, you know, there's another game. Yes. So after the game is actually before the game. Yes. You know, and so you're you're always, you know, as, as long as you're still on the team. Yes. <laughs> Every it, ending is, whatever ends is the beginning of something. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that this is, all this stuff really plays into the film itself. And, uh, and, I, and I like the idea of, this idea of this repeating cycle, but being able to change those cycles and, and being able to... Very minutely. Yeah, yeah, You don't yeah. need a big, you know, just doing, turning down this street instead of turning down the other street is all it takes to completely change your life. And, and we know this. Yeah. We, we know this from, from all of the random situations that we end up in. You know, you're driving, you hit a pothole. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you had been, you know, over by a foot, you wouldn't have hit the pothole. So now you're stuck on the side of the road. Right. You miss right. your flight, you know, right, <laughs> whatever. Right, right. You know, and, and, and so it, yeah. there's, there's, there's always these little things that end up having these big impacts. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think that's, that's something. Now I'm going to ask you a question okay. because you've had the commentary. <laughs> yes. So you've got yes. some insight that, that okay. I don't necessarily have. Okay. In the film, uh, one of the odd things about Lola. Mm-hmm. Is that it's kind of like she's got this superpower, yes. whereby she can scream yes. at a very high volume yes. and shatter glass and yes. and just you know change the course of rivers. I don't know, yes. <laughs> but, yes. but she's she's got a scream. Yes, and it's a sustained scream, and things happen. So I'm curious what that was and yeah. what was the idea behind You know they didn't really go into it except to say that I would say that she Lola in general is kind of a supernatural character person I mean she ha- anyone who has the ability to die and say no this isn't how it's supposed to end and make the whole day start again, <laughs> you know, clearly has supernatural qualities. So I think that she's, you know, that, and that's sort of one of the things that makes this movie um, a little different and very interesting is that, you know, you could do this whole movie without the supernatural element. I mean, like I was saying, Groundhog Day. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could do the sort of... But the fact that it's... You know, with Groundhog Day, he was not in control. Bill Murray's character is not in control. He has to live every this day over and over again until he gets it right, and he doesn't know what to do. So he doesn't have the say. Whereas Lola is like, no... This isn't how it's supposed to work. Let me do this again. You know what though? And now it's it's funny. Now see this is a great thing about talking. <laughs> is that you, you know you start to think different things. Yes. 
maybe it's the other way around. Okay. Where it's more about the power of the individual. And how like that anyone could make themselves go back and do it? The well, it's, it's that thing of taking control over your fate and being able to, to, to not just let things happen, right? but to actually say, you know what, I can control how these things happen. And, you know, these screams. Yes, you it's know, a definitely, it's a primal scream. Oh, extremely. I mean, and, 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 they, and the one in the casino was extended. I yes. Mean, she screamed for like, like, <laughs> for like 20 minutes. No. Yes. <laughs> no, but, uh, it was a solid minute, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think no, it, it was, might be it a was, solid minute. It, it was. And, and she ended up winning yes. as a result of that. Yeah. And so. You know, just slightly tangentially. Yeah. When they, she, you know, bets and puts the ball in the roulette wheel, mm -hmm. the the director, the thinking was, we'll have her, you know, we'll have the the, the croupier, whatever yeah. it is, put the ball in the wheel, and then we'll cut to whatever, and then edit it landing into the 21, the spot that they want needed it to land into. It landed into that spot. Oh, amazing! They, that that shot, it did it on its own. That is that great. That is not a that is not an edit. That is great. It actually went into that spot. Just luck. <laughs> well, you know, but but right there though, it's like, you know, the 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 wild thing is, is that in the end, Lola didn't save him. He ended up getting the money himself. Yeah. And she ended up getting money herself. She kind of saves herself. Yeah, yeah. So it's like both of them end up doing well on their own. Yeah. And, and again, I have to think that that's got to play into that some kind of way. This idea of, you know, sometimes it's not you don't need help. Sometimes. But you I know, think sometimes you may not need help, but it's nice. It's almost like just knowing that there's someone out there who supports you mm -hmm. and is willing to jump up and help you can sort of push enough. you is enough of a motivator yeah to to for you to do it on your own that and and I can agree with that, you know, but but again, they both ended up doing better on their own, yeah, yeah, and, and but they stayed together. Presumably. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, they, they both came out on top. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. they, they, they both were able to achieve their goals. And and truth be told, I mean, Lola came out for the better. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, it wasn't even about the, the money that, that her boyfriend, you know, owed. This was money that she got on her own, you know, and so. How, yes. The only thing I would say is, um, I wonder if maybe no, she did. She does not help him directly. He gets the money and he deals with it. But she does go back and relive those scenarios three times. Right. And if she hadn't, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to help himself. Because if if she had died that in the first scenario, yeah, that would have been it. But she's like no. And does it again, and does it a third time. Right. And so, you know, sort of like that butterfly effect I was saying. Like, you know, because she 
refused to let it go the way it was and did something different 20 blocks away because um, the, the, those gangsters, like the, the drug dealers, they get into a car crash with the yeah. guy and it's like the third time they don't. And so, you know, so it's like she, yeah. I think, indirectly helps him by allowing certain things to occur. Right, right. Now here's now here's something else. I, again, I'm just thinking of stuff. Yeah. Did you see Cloud Atlas? No. Okay. okay. I've seen parts of it. I've okay. seen. I'm, I'm aware. I know what it is. Okay. One of the things that they put out there is this idea that the future can have an impact on the past. Okay. Okay, because we normally think just the past impacts the future. Right. They're basically saying, no, it can go the other way as well. Okay. And that these things move back and forth along, yeah. a long time. Doctor Who kind of does something like that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a Whovian, so okay, all right. that's a, they sort of play on a similar thing of time travel and <laughs> the past affecting and the future affecting the past. Yeah. I like Who. <laughs> <laughs> Though I will say I'm a Torchwood fan. I love Torchwood. Yes. I love Torchwood. Yes. Um, have you been watching The New Doctor? No, no, I haven't. There's a reference to Torchwood in there? No, no, no but oh. I, I just... I, I haven't the, seen the new, it, no, but I've heard about her. Yeah, Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, I've, she's heard, wonderful. I've heard great stuff about yeah, her. Yeah, she's great. They, yeah. they have a... Speaking of the past, they have a wonderful episode. I think it's the third episode... I think I think I, th- I think I heard about it. Rosa. Yes, yes, I heard about so that. So good. I've heard so many good things about it's that. So good. I mean, I would just watch that episode alone. Um, but anyway, uh, so yes, the the future having that impact on the past. Yeah. And what happens is, you know, because in a sense, that is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Because her future. I mean, she sees this particular future, she experiences that future, and it has an impact on what happens in the past, mm-hmm. which changes that future. Mm-hmm. And so that, so based on what happens in the future, that keeps altering what happens in the past. And so I think those quotes kind of come yeah. back into this as well. Definitely. This idea of these things repeating, these things kind of impacting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, going somewhere to end up back where you were before And the you whole started. cycle of the beginning is the end and the end is the beginning. Um, I, I did know, see if you, if you can spot where, uh, where they were. Um, the director of Lola said that there were three movies that um, he looked to as influences. Mm. One of them was De Palma's Carrie. Oh, that is interesting. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And Dressed to Kill. Okay, I hadn't. I, I know that one. Yep, yep. And um, uh, Hitchcock's Vertigo. Yes. Yes. In the particularly in that casino. Right. Is the actual the, the image of the that image is sim- it's 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 I think it's actually it's actually supposed to be Kim Novak. Okay. But the person who the, the person who painted it painted it in like fifteen minutes. I mean, it was one <laughs> of those things where 
they walked in and were like, oh, that, the director thought, that doesn't look good. There needs to be something up on the wall. Give me Kim Novak and Vertigo. And the artist was like, I don't know what Kim Novak looks like. Like he couldn't pull her to, so he said, well, just draw her from the back. <laughs> so that, that hair, the sort of Carlotta hairstyle from Vertigo, which is also a movie that plays with time and and past and future affecting each other it's uh uh, hitchcock's 1958 um jimmy stewart kim novak stewart is a detective who's hired to um find to trail tail a woman and see what she's going see where she's going and what she's doing because her husband is very concerned about her and uh, things, <laughs> hijinks ensue. Good old Hitchcock. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely, and I think at one point um, in LeBron Lola Run, the guy is, uh, the boyfriend is talking on the phone in front of the spiral uh, the, the, bar. The, yeah, yeah. And it's like there's spirals behind, and there's this big spiral behind him, which is very vertigo. Um, but. Even as I was watching it, I definitely got the Vertigo references. I was not seeing Carrie. I would associate that more with the scream. Okay. You okay. And, and the thing is, again, Carrie was somebody who, ends under up taking, intense pressure, yes, you know, she ended up acting out in this way. Uh, Poor but, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> Poor, poor woman. But, yes. But you know what? It's, it's funny, actually. This is just a side note. Carrie is probably one of those few that you're actually cheering her on. Oh, definitely. You know, I can't think of any other, you know, quote unquote horror movie where you're cheering the one that's killing everybody. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. You yes. Know, I mean, I was like, Carrie, man, get him. Yeah. You know, it was, yes. it, that was it. Yes. I was like, yes, yes. Carrie. That was. Yeah, I I I love. She definitely that. Ha, uh, uh, takes control and has agency. Yeah, over her, you know herself and what you know. I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah. Take it's, this anymore. That was it. That I'm was mad it. as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. Very much, and and again, going back to Lola, again with those screams. Yes. You know she's able to. To affect the the outside world, and it's not just about it, it's it's kind of symbolic of her getting pushed to a particular point mm-hmm. of tension, and that's how she lets it out. And when she lets it out, things change. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not just about her anymore; it's about everybody around her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's. I got I I was inspired by that actually in a, in a, re, in a weird way I didn't mm-hmm. understand it completely but <laughs> yeah. but I I thought that that was really kind of cool how how she was able to do that and so how do you think that um, the soundtrack sort of works with that I mean why he didn't have to do techno even though yes it's the nineties and techno was sort of the hot. Well, Trend at the time, certainly in Germany. Well, and, and particularly in Berlin, and and I'm going to say I think that that's that ties directly into that because again the wall came down in 
89. 89. And techno and basically found a home in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And was the, as Dimitri Hegeman from the Trezor Club has said, uh, techno was the soundtrack of what was happening in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that when you, you look at a lot of uh, the folks who've been in Berlin for a period of time, some of the people in, in the city council and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, administration and whatnot, all of these folks had experienced techno at some point mm-hmm. because all of them went out to the clubs when they were yeah. younger. So it, it's a common thing. That, that it's something that everybody has in common. So I think that you, know, you can't... Uh, you can't overstate the the power that techno had in Berlin at that time. I think that to have a movie set in Berlin, to have some young people in this movie, and to be, you know, kind of trying to be contemporary of what was happening, I think that it had to be electronic. I don't think that. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that they could have used any other kind of music, except for the one scene. When they're running from the grocery store, and what's the song that's playing? Oh gosh, um, it's it's. Um, I want to say Dinah Washington. It's what a difference what a, a day, day makes. Yes, I mean the one time they don't yeah. do techno. Yeah, they go to jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dinah Washington too, and. Well, and, and I've always thought that was a very. And actually, that was one thing I thought was very interesting. It was initially going to be. An Elvis song. Oh. It was going, and let me see if I know what the movie was, it, what the song was. It was supposed to be an Elvis song, and it was something like they couldn't afford it. <laughs> uh-huh. And so. Well, do you know what song it would have been? I, I want to say, no, I think they didn't say, because I would have written it down. They may not have been allowed to say. Mm-hmm. I want to, but I, I, I want to, like maybe Heartbreak Hotel. Or maybe Hound Dog. I mean, I think it was a a known one that we all would have gone, mm-hmm. oh. But they wanted it to be Elvis, or what they were going to do Elvis, couldn't afford it, and ended up doing What a Difference a Day Makes. Now, do you know why they picked that one? Someone on the crew recommended it, and mm-hmm. the director went, oh, yeah. Like, it was, it was just sort of a, a suggestion that someone threw out. And and once they did it, it was like I can't imagine we didn't think of that before type of thing. Yeah, because I'm thinking that that song. I mean, again, looking at the day. Yeah. That they're going through. It seems so obvious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the perfect song for that. Yeah. You know. Now, also on a on an odd note, you know, she had a very close connection with Detroit, and so for Dinah Washington. Yes. Okay. So, uh, to what have, was her connection to Detroit? Oh, well, she died here, but oh, she did. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. Oh no! I hate to. Hate to oh but, no! I mean, I'm sure there were other 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 good things. There are other good things. Let yes. me let me not me just put that out there. I'm I'm not trying to. Detroit has some good associations with yeah. Donna Washington yes, as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's, well, you know what? It's a nice place to go. If you got to go, you know, go in Detroit. This is it. This is it. You, you know? know? It's, it's a nice place to go. I like that. A nice place to go. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. <laughs> that could have been Kevorkian's. That could have been. <laughs> <laughs> 
He could have said, hey, come to Detroit. It's a nice place to go. Yeah, they might have left him alone if he'd been doing it in Detroit. Isn't that what who? Yeah. Houdini didn't. Houdini went here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, people come here to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got we got um, well, Dinah Washington, Houdini, the the actress and I want to say comedian Elaine Stritch was mm-hmm. from here, lived in New York, L.A. many years, came back here to die. Oh, wow. came back here um, a few years ago and passed away. Oh man! Uh, and obviously, Aretha. Right. Well, and more recently, uh, well, well, not more recently. Oh, Aretha and that guy from. Um, oh, I'm. Uh, Cornell. Chris Cornell. Yeah. Okay. Now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. See, I'm going to say something wrong, and I'm going to get. No, he's not from Soundgarden. Yeah. Let me see. Okay. Uh, see, this this is uh, this is why uh, you know you can't uh, you can't talk too much because what happens is people <laughs> yes. go and check you. Oh, what? Detroit. Yes, yeah, it Detroit. Is. Chris yeah. Cornell. Yep. Yep. That was yeah. that was it. And uh, from Soundgarden. Yep. And then yep. So yeah, it was Chris Cornell. Yep. He came here to go too. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's, yeah. This is this is that place. This is the place to come to this go. This is that place. <laughs> you know, so we encourage everybody who's thinking about. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm crying. No. Oh gosh, no, we're not encouraging anyone to do anything. You need to talk to Pure Michigan about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, so uh, so so uh, Dinah Washington. Yes, Uh, yes. uh, What a difference a day makes. But no, and I think it's interesting that when they don't, the one time they don't use techno, that it's jazz. Because I feel like there are, I don't know if maybe similarities, but I feel like there's a similar past history to jazz and techno. Yeah. You know, I mean, I feel like, and I know jazz was certainly popular in Berlin in the, you know, 30s, 40s. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, Berlin is... uh, it's really kind of iconic in relation to a lot of different kinds of music. I mean, as a city. And Berlin and Detroit have connections. Oh, well, very close connections there. You know, uh, again, very close musical connections. And then, you know, you look at a group like Kraftwerk mm-hmm. that really found a home in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's a synergy there. And, uh, and it works out really, really well. And Underground Resistance... Goes to Berlin. Oh well, everybody from Detroit goes. goes to to <laughs> I mean, no, yes. no, you, you are is definitely there. But I, I will tell you this: one of the semi creepy things about being in Berlin, yes, is that you can be walking down the street and stumble into somebody from Detroit. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, how is this even possible? I was actually going to meet somebody else, 
and I'm walking by and I'm passed by this record shop and I look inside and I'm like, oh my God, I saw a guy from here. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, it yeah, w- wasn't, yeah. even, wasn't even going to meet him, looking for him, didn't even yeah. have it register in there. Yeah. And, and there he was. So yeah, Berlin is like, I, I used to call it. like a sister city. I used to call it East Detroit. <laughs> yes. S- since the yes. former East Detroit is now East Point. Yes. So I said, hey, Berlin can be East Detroit. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, far East Detroit. Yeah. It's better to be East Detroit than West Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. I'm with you on that. I am with you on that. Yeah. West Germany. Yeah, yeah. No, that's funny. That's funny. Um so it does, I would agree with you, it does make logical sense that it would be techno. Um, he doesn't do all of the music, though. Or does he? I think... I he, feel he, like... Now, at the end of the movie... Yes. There's uh, somebody else he's got doing yeah. the, the, the thing. And her name, and it's funny, because I, I uh, shazammed her, because <laughs> I was like... Because I was getting into it, and I was yeah. like, wait a minute. I was like, who is this lady? Um, Susie Vandermeer. Okay. And uh, it's called Eyes on Me. And Which kind of makes sense with the with that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really wanted to, uh, to dig a little bit deeper, but I, I didn't do it before we got together. But <laughs> I, was, I was curious about that song and her. Yeah. To see, hey, if there's some kind of other symbolic connection yeah. be- between all of the folks in here. You know, I think, um, you know, it's funny. It's like I'm looking. Yeah, it's funny when I look up. Well, I was looking up down in Washington, and of course, yeah. everything I see about her, about her in Detroit refers to her passing. Yes. Yes. I don't see anything else. So, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, but uh, no, I mean, the, the music at the end uh, was different and it was real great music. I loved it. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, so yeah, but that's the thing. He finds these points mm-hmm. where he does that. You know, so jumping back to the beginning, uh, where they had the animation and the clocks, mm-hmm. because that was the other thing. This this whole thing with clocks mm-hmm. in in time, of course, yeah, is that. Uh, and here's a bad thing. Maybe I'm misremembering. I swear that on the clocks uh, there was some kind of like gargoyle type thing that came to life. Yeah, I think there is. Yes, I believe that there is. I, I you know, and I think it's interesting that. Because I, when I think of a clock, you know, it really is a tick-tock that you hear in the beginning. Yeah. You can't get much more analog <laughs> than a tick-tock clock, and then you go into electronic yeah, yeah. music. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's almost, it, it, from, from the tick-tocking of an analog watch or clock into what? a super contemporary, modern, electronic, industrial sound but you could say that the clock is like the original metronome definitely and so definitely it, it, it's 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 establishing the beat yes you know? oh it definitely does yeah yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. does uh uh and i think that um you know this movie couldn't be in 
the suburbs, whatever the suburbs of Berlin. I assume yeah. all cities have a suburb. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been to Berlin, unfortunately. But techno is very much urban. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, I want to say it's like the sound design of that film. The city sounds meld really with the music. Well, you know, I think Berlin as a city exists in a very special kind of space. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, and, and I've said this before, I think that Berlin very much represents what you would call a European city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's not just about Germany. It's a, it's a global city. Right. And it functions in this way that represents, I think, all of Europe. Uh, and I think that that's part of what makes it powerful as a city. Um, and how would you say that that's different from, and maybe you wouldn't, but would you say it's different from like London or Paris? I would say that it's different in that there's so many people from other places who come there. Mm -hmm. And not that the other places aren't cosmopolitan, but I'm saying I don't know that they are to the extent that Berlin is. And I think part of that was because for a while, Berlin had the reputation for having the cheapest rent. Okay. You know, and, and hey, another connection with Detroit. You know, you know. <laughs> yes. And 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 a lot of creative people. Yeah. You know, gravitated towards that. So you know, a, a place where they could be creative and do their thing. So it's very much an artistic hub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like that, really. Even looking at you know pre World War Two. Oh, definitely. And, you know, in the 30s, it was yeah. in the 20s. It was definitely very... I mean, that was the spot. Yeah. And, and so the thing is... Cabaret. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the place where all these really kind of cutting-edge, creative things were happening. And a lot of jazz musicians. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the thing is, jazz was... You know, the, the funny thing about jazz to me is that... Yes. The United States... Okay, you know, this is new country. Yeah. And it's comparing itself to Europe. Yes. Now that's the, the reference point right. that the United States has. And so, uh, and of course, Europe is like, uh, who are these people? Whatever. Right. So, you know, folks here try to do classical music and say, hey, we can do, you know, American classical. And, and the Europeans are like, yeah, whatever. We've got the masters. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know. Uh, Whatever you do, we've done already right. better and before you. Right. Yeah. So then you get this whole thing of jazz and this evolution of this new style of music native to this country that basically the establishment was like, no, that's like that Negro music. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that dangerous music. Yes. Uh, you know, and really it starts with not that I'm going to go into the history of music, nor am I a music historian, but I feel like there's, you have ragtime. Yeah, yeah. You have like Scott Joplin. Scott Joplin, yeah. And ragtime in early turn of the century. Yep. That, that eventually evolves into jazz. Well. Or because you know, that's sort of the next. And that was, that was part of it. I think, I think ragtime to me was just kind of his own thing. Yes. And, uh, but and I feel like there's a jazz. Oh yeah, definitely jazz elements. Predecessor. I, I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, because the thing is. Or were they the same point? Yeah, because jazz time. jazz music was kind of in formation around the same time or before. 
Okay. So, so no, that was that was happening, you know, as, as well. But I think, um, you know, looking at how jazz was treated here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that was part of the thing. Is that here's this outlaw music? Yes. You know this this dangerous music. Yeah. And that was something that folks in Berlin were like, "This is great," right. and they jumped on it. You know. And to their credit, Parrish was also known as a as a hub for jazz. Yeah. But but that was the thing. I think that, you know, Berlin as a city has always been a bit different. Uh and and so I, I think that's cool. I, I like that part about it. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so uh and then also we have to keep in mind that Germany what did Germany form? Germany like really, from the very beginning? Yeah. Like when did Germany become Germany? Yeah, because that was I don't know, you're you know, I'm not I don't I'm, know German see, history. Now, <laughs> see now we're getting into it. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we're we're getting deep. I, I, <laughs> but I, I, yeah. After um or before eighty nine, I'm a little fussy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm you know, my, my reference point, for better or for worse, is Wikipedia. Okay. And uh, we've got it here at uh, 19... Or, uh, I mean, we have to be talking like the 16, 17 century. No, no. Before then. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. That wasn't, that wasn't there then. Um, well, something was there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, there no. were certainly no, there people were, there. No, there there were different things there because because one of the things that's really interesting is that when you look at uh, different languages, yeah, they all refer to that area as something different. Yes, because it's all based around when they started referring to that region and what it was called. Right. And when they and so they just kept the name for it. Right. Even though it became Germany at was one point. Was it part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire? I might totally be blowing that out of my Okay, it says mouth, cuz it was it was was it Prussia? Prussia. Was it the thing no. is what it was before? Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought Persia. <laughs> no, you said Prussia, and I thought Persia. I'm like, it wasn't Iran. No. Oh, that's the yes. Kid, that's, that's that Hitler thing, wanting to be Aryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, okay, it, it says 1871. Okay. okay, okay. So we're talking, if we're talking about the, you know, the 20s and 30s, we're talking about 50 or so years after, you know, Germany. So 1871 is the year that Germany becomes known as the country Germany? Yes. Okay. Well, there's a history lesson. Yep, yep. So, I mean, the, the, here's the funny thing about it. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to go off. So that's here. actually not that long. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get into some, some European. So point. it had to have been something before then. We tend to think of Europe as something that's always been there. You know, we think about these countries as like, oh, yeah, they've always been there. And it's like, actually, no, they haven't. Right. And a lot of them are relatively new countries. Well, a lot of those Eastern European countries. Well, I mean, when yeah. Russia, the USSR broke up, we got a whole bunch of new countries. Oh, and then the whole Slavic uh, region, Yugo, you know, the former Yugoslavia. Yeah, and, it's and Czech all Republic and all of But, yes, the, I mean, the, Europe was definitely ruled by empires. It was... 
built huge empires. Right. Um, those those borders changed, the, and the borders have changed in our lifetime. Yeah, even yeah, I mean in it, the twenty three years that we've been alive. That's right, <laughs> that's right. You know, I mean, gosh, when I when I was born in the nineties, yeah, I was like, no, no, <laughs> you can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> no, I can't. So, uh, so yeah, but I think that that's that's where. Um, you know, we you know we got to look at those things and say, okay. Um, and when was Detroit? Detroit was founded around the same time. Well, Detroit actually, because we just had our three hundred somethingth birthday, so Detroit's been around longer than Germany officially. I mean, <laughs> Yay, Detroit! You know, yeah, yeah. yeah I was gonna say for 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 what it's worth, you know, <laughs> and and anything, and, and and with Detroit, see, they should do. They, they we need a movie about Detroit. And it, not the movie Detroit. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's... <laughs> oh, man. You know what? You just opened a wound. <laughs> you know? you just, Open wound. Insert salt. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Uh, you know, and, and the sad thing about it is... Well, oh, no. You know, let's see. <laughs> there's if, so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's so one. many. There's so many. I can't even bear to even get into the conversation Batman about and that. Superman may have been a better movie about Detroit. Yes. It was. It was. I tell you. It was. <laughs> Batman and Superman is the Detroit movie that better represents <laughs> our city than, than that one. I, yeah. I, you know what? I like that. <laughs> you know, in fact, in followed fact, by RoboCop, and, and well, and Transformers, Transformers. You know, Beverly Hills Cop, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, all, yeah. all all of those rate better. Yeah. Than, than Detroit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I didn't care for. There's oh, as I'm like stuck so like much, so so but much. <laughs> my first initial reaction to it was, why did you call it Detroit? Because this was this was an incident. This was one incident that occurred in the history of Detroit. I mean, but that is not that is not that incident alone does not define Detroit. Right. It's you know. Um, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just think it's like if they did a movie about, you, you know, know I, I think that it's Jack the Ripper and called it London. Right, <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I think I think that it's it was a, a really cheap way of cashing in yes. on the fact that Detroit is popular. Yes, and Detroit's got some buzz around it, and so. They were trying to think to ride that wave, yes, and say, "Hey, look, you know, we're gonna we're gonna name our our movie Detroit," and it it doesn't make any sense. No, it's it's presented as a historical film, and there's so many historical inaccuracies in it. Till you know, it's 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 a it's a fictional narrative, and and about a real. And situation. the thing is, there's nothing wrong with fictional narratives, and there's no movie, yeah, yeah. no movie has ever been made 
ever about any historical incident that has been 100% accurate. That is not what you go to the movies for. Well, yeah. You should not be expecting 100% accuracy timeline because if it were, it might actually be boring. I mean, the way you know they make movies to, to in theory, to be more entertaining and to be interesting. Yeah. But don't tout it. Like it's the be all end all, of, you know. Yeah. Well, you know the thing is, I think that there's, there've been you know, uh, you know, movies done that deal with history that do it in an accurate way. That even though you know people take creative liberties because that is a part of the the medium. Like I just saw Black Klansman recent a little mm-hmm. while ago. Yeah. And that certainly, you know. As, uh, they didn't call that Colorado, <laughs> right, right? You know, but but that's another instance of taking uh, something that actually happened. Certainly taking um, poetic license, so to speak, yeah, yeah, artistic yeah. license, but but staying true to the essence of it, right? And I think that that's what becomes important. I mean, you look at a film like Malcolm X, like like X, yeah. You know, that was a film that really stayed true to the the essence of the story and was able to you know you, you can't i mean you've got you know two hours yeah you know, there's you, only so much you can do yeah yeah so you know it's understood yeah but at the same time it's like okay do i have an accurate overview yeah. of it? you know like the the film ray yeah uh, you know that was you know doing that you know what's love got to do with it yeah you know that was something that you know, again, I mean, there's all kind of you know nuances that aren't in there, but essentially, you want to know what happened with Tina and Ike? Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is this yeah. is giving you an overview on what. And what I do done. think it's interesting. It can be different doing like biopics as opposed to events. Yeah. You know, a movie about someone's life as opposed to a movie about uh, an historical event that occurred. Yeah. Um. Because there's just much more well, there. But but to, I would say that, and I actually think there is a connection, Run Lola Run is very much a German film. I would say it's very much a Berlin film. Yes. For all the Berlin reasons I was saying film. before. I yes. think it's a, it's a very Berlin film. Yes, even though it's not maybe... D- it's not focusing on a specific, on anything that actually happened. Um, you get a feel you for You really the city. feel like this is this isn't London. This isn't New York. Right. This isn't you know the yes that it is very. I feel like even though I haven't been there, that I kind of got a sense of what Berlin at least was like in 1998. No, ab- absolutely, and I think that that's one of the cool things about it. Is that even with? Because here's the funny thing: when I was watching it, I was trying to find places that I recognized. Right, right. Because you know, plenty of time has passed, and things yeah. are very different now than. than what that. year did you were you did you first go to Berlin? Well, I will tell you, my first year I had gone there was probably like '97. So around the time that this movie was made. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is. That was my first time in Europe, period. Right. So everything's a blur. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was just the excitement of, right. of being over there and all this stuff. So so a lot of stuff didn't register 
Right. You know, I was, you know, in a, in a different zone. Yeah. So I would Literally. say, yeah, very much. <laughs> but like now, it's it's really different, you know. And and so I've you know I've been there over the past you know ten years you know off and on, and uh, and so this Berlin that I know, yeah, isn't the Berlin necessarily of this film. However, I could feel it. Right. I could feel it, and I said, you know what? Even though I haven't actually. And you did recognize one location, you said. Yeah, oh gosh. The bridge we, or something? Yeah, 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 the bridges, yeah. I, I recognized those because they were going across there. So I, I did recognize pieces. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of it was different. Yeah. Um, but I felt it. I felt Berlin in this. And so I, I got a kick out of that. And there's a way, and there's a thing I think about the way movies are shot. Maybe it's just me, but... You know, I grew up in New York, and when I see a movie set in New York, I don't always know where they are. Right, right. I mean, there's a way that that camera, you know, camera people and directors shoot a location. They don't necessarily want you to know exactly where it is. I I will tell you, I saw a video. There's a, a little short music video that was done, and there's like uh, maybe five different you know scenes in it. The crazy thing, it was all done in the same space, you know, and, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this looks like it's happening all across the city of Detroit. Right. And it's all taking place really in one building. Right. And uh, just from different angles, from the back, from the front, from, you know, two different rooms inside right. the building. Right. So you, you've got this impression. Right. You know, and I, and I thought it was fantastic. I thought this is this is great. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're going to see these movies and you're not necessarily going to recognize. And sometimes they fool you because, oh, I want to say, I think it was 8 Mile. I didn't actually see the movie 8 Mile until after I lived here. Mm -hmm. And I can't... Someone's in a car driving somewhere. I don't know where they're doing. Mm-hmm. But so they say, go to this street. And it was like McDougal and some other street. And I'm like, those two streets don't come together. Right. You right. know? <laughs> and, and I would not have known that had I not, you know, did I, if I didn't live here. Right, right. I wouldn't know that those two streets didn't go together. And so often those movie, movies that are set in cities where you know that that's the city that it's set in, it's it's made for people who don't live in that city. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because everyone else will know that whatever, McDougal and Shane don't cross. I don't remember what this... Um, or, you know, there isn't a Park Avenue and Fifth Street. Like well, it isn't. Well, or, and also sometimes it's just the people coming in to do it don't know the city. Right. I, I read an article once, and this was in a... I want to say it was in like a psychology, a psychological journal. It wasn't a journal, but it was a... Kind of a popular. It was kind of a cross between a journal and a popular publication, and they were talking about Detroit, and they talked about some kid being from the Southfield section of Detroit, <laughs> and you know. Yes. So if I, I was born and raised in South Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yes. it, yeah, exactly. So you know, and, and so we were debating this because we were like, do they mean Southfield the city, or do they mean right. Southwest Detroit? What are they? What are they actually trying to say? But that was something that, again, you know, if you're not from Detroit, you're right. not necessarily going to 
that's not going to raise any flags. You're right. Not, you're not going right. to you know make anything of it. So so that's the thing. I mean, I think that you know when you when you've got somebody coming in and you're not working with somebody from that place. Right. You know, you're you're going to have all that stuff in there. That's that's why I say it's always better to to make it Metropolis or some other yes. non-named city. So yes. that way, you know, you've got right. some creative Leeway. license in, in what you do and how you portray things. So, so jumping back to Lola. Although I must say briefly, mm-hmm. I knew as a kid that Metropolis was New York. Well, <laughs> now now here's... I did, you know, well, you know what? Metropolis and Gotham were New York, and I knew this because it was, you know... Uh, I recognized it. <laughs> I was—I may have been a kid, but I certainly knew where I lived, you know. And I recognized the city. I'm like, okay, so I guess I live in Metropolis. Right, right. I, I thought I lived in New York, but I guess I live in Metropolis now. All right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, see, that's the game. Well, now here's the funny thing: as somebody who's not from New York, I understood Metropolis to be New York. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand Gotham to be New York. Actually, the funny thing is, I associated Gotham. This is gonna sound really good. I associated Gotham with Chicago, <laughs> and so that's interesting. I, you know, it wasn't until <laughs> that's interesting. You know, later that I learned about you know New York being called Gotham. Yeah, you know, and, that, and so I said, "Oh, okay." But see, and I, I well, yeah, because I lived there. You see Gotham around. Yeah. Like things are called Gotham, you know. Right. It's just, it's sort of in the, it's in the air. Right, right. In New York, you know. They're, they're, they're just bars and local papers and, you know, um, it's just part of New York history, like the Knickerbockers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Knickerbockers. That's you wild. Know? That is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's it. I mean, you that's know. That's it. Everyone... I assume everyone knows the New York Knicks are the New York Knickerbockers. Well, I think a lot of people don't. don't. <laughs> I'm going to say that's that. That's the Knickerbockers, and, and that's a Dutch, that's Dutch heritage. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, New Amsterdam. In New Amsterdam, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, who's the guy who, oh gosh, Headless Horseman, Rip Van Winkle. I, 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 yeah, Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane. Who yeah. wrote the, 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 the oh. Washington Irving? Yes, yes. He, I think, I believe, I might be lying, but I believe that Washington Irving, one of the things that he wrote was a sort of, as we're talking about uh, creative license, he wrote, it might not have been him, but I think it was, like the first quote-unquote history of New York, Mm -hmm. and it was centered around the Knickerbocker family, which was a imaginary family and he was writing this sort of at the end of the dutch you know like the dutch families were sort of not really there anymore but there were some remnants and so this was sort of for uh, kind of for them to say you know you won't be forgotten Mm -hmm. someone remembers when the dutch were you know ruled the city or were more prominent yeah and so this was a a a uh, uh, sort of faux fake family called the Knickerbockers through which he sort of told this fake history oh. of New York and New Yorkers 
took to it yeah, yeah, and yeah. took to the name. And ever since, we've been the Knickerbockers. That is wild. That is wild. Then, but you know what? But I. Th- but you know what? I think that that's cool because that's the the whole origin of mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes from, you know, I, I think all mythology comes from a real place. Yes. And so it's it's not someone just making up something out of thin air. There's something to it. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's, there's, there's there are elements. Like they there. say a cliche is cliche because it's kind of true. Right. There's right. some truth to it, and I I think mythology, sort of, and I think there's definitely, you know, because it was written sort of in a European style because mm-hmm. that's what they knew, um, but I think that. You know, and the mythologies are written by those who are left. <laughs> you know, the, the, the yeah. ones who are there are the ones who get to tell the story, who right. writes history. Um, and so, you know, it would be interesting who will write the mythologies about Detroit. Uh, and, and I think there, but I think there's already mythologies about Berlin and, and Detroit. And, very much, you know, very much. And, well, and, I, and I think that... I'm going to say that this is a really exciting time to to be here, but I think all times are. Yes. As Lola has taught us. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but no, the thing is, we are creating that history. Yeah. And we are creating that mythology. And I think that, you know, Run, Lola, Run is a part of that Berlin mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a piece of that city. Mm-hmm. And I think that... And also a specific time, I mean, a piece of that city at a specific time Absolutely. In, the, in the city's history with the, the music of that time, which was techno. Yep. And, and now, did, aside from that movie, did the director, did Tom, um, like, is he in the techno scene? Other than that, you know, I don't know of him. I, I'll tell you, the only way I know him is through this film. Okay. So, so he didn't like go on to have a techno career. Not that I know. Now, again, I'm going to use my magic eight ball. <laughs> and I'm going to see what it says because the thing is, yeah, I don't know that there was ever anything, um, anything else uh, outside of that. Um, and I'm looking here, and uh, oh, here's here's something. He collaborated with he, Wachowskis as co-director of Cloud Atlas. Now, isn't that hilarious? That's it right there. And, now, and Sensei. And he looks a little bit like, and we're looking at a picture of him on Wikipedia. He looks like a combination, a cross between... Go with me on this. Uh-oh. Mel Gibson and Tom Waits. Is it Tom Waits? Tom I'm Hanks. Of? Not Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> I know the difference between Tom Hanks and Tom Waits. <laughs> but I, I feel like there's a little bit of Mel Gibson look in there. Uh, and yeah. more of a European Mel Gibson. Well, I'll tell you, actually, and, pre- and presumably the less bigoted, the, the non-bigoted, <laughs> well, the the non-anti-Semitic Bob uh, Mel Gibson, Bob Gibson. That's nice. Right, right. 
Well, no, but I'm, no, I'm tripping, though, because, again, I made That's that reference so to Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Atlas and, and, and here he is. See, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. That's it. See, how did that connection come? But I, this is something. I'm really excited to, to see this now. I'm, I'm like. I'm, You're just tickled here. Yeah, I now, am. Now, what did he actually do on Cloud Atlas? Uh, he's he's co- the co- co-director. Co-director. Very interesting. And Sense8, which is also kind of a sci-fi, it's Netflix show, Yeah, sci-fi, spiritual. Yeah, it's sort of in the, um, I think of it sort of in the M. Night Shyamalan. I just awful. Shyamalan. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to know the the, the ways I've massacred his last name. Um, But kind of his sphere. Yeah, yeah. This is really something. I'm really... I'm really happy to see that. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's it's funny that I can say I'm happy to see that yeah, in that yeah. way, but but I am. It's, well, now maybe I will actually check out Cloud Atlas. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking that again. I was seeing elements. Is that Tom Hanks? Yeah. It is Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's probably why I first thought of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is sort of a t- okay, Tom Hanks, and who's the who's the girl? Uh, Halle Berry. Oh, yeah. Those those two, I would say, are that the. That might uh, have been why I didn't see it. No, I'm just kidding. Ooh, I'm ouch, kidding. Ouch! <laughs> ouch! 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 Uh, you know yeah. what? I'm gonna tell you. I actually now again. I'm a crazy Cloud Atlas fan. Really? Yeah. I will check it out. And and I will it, check it out. And the thing is, I really liked for the most part. I mean, I, I liked. Uh, what Holly Berry did with that. Okay. And um, but I think, but it was an ensemble, and I and I like what most of the folks did with it. There's a few sequences where I was like, eh, but yeah. For the most part, I was like, this is this is really nice. I'll check it out. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 No, this it's uh, and and again, the, the whole idea of time. Yeah. And and the impact of time and and, and influences on. You know, again, past, present, and future, yeah. kind of running together. You know, that's something that again, I I saw that. And techno as a genre of music, I think, is different than other genres in that it's not. I don't know. I'm probably well, gonna get hate mail for saying this. Hmm. It, it doesn't, to me, sound like music that has a clear beginning, middle, and end. Well, no, no, it doesn't. That it's 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 sort of a cyclic, cyclical it, type. It of can music. be. It very much. It very much can be. Uh, you know, if you could turn a techno song on in the middle, and you may not know that that was the middle. Well, that's because you're used to DJs mixing in. This so, is true. This so the is DJ true. is going to mix in wherever they think right, is a good right, place right, to mix right. in. Right, right, But I do. But, feel, it's not like your standard three-minute pop song that. Oh no, has no, a not at all. Chorus all. and verse and beginning and middle and end. It's, yeah, yeah, not like it's, that. It's a little more jazzy, actually. It's a little more. It, it probably has closer looser. connections to that. That and maybe some gospel. You know, in, yeah. in looking at that. Now, one of the other things about that, though. Which I just thought about. Yes. Because see, see, we're coming up with concepts <laughs> yeah. now. Techno, the idea, one of the ideas behind it mm-hmm. was that it was music from the future. So it's okay. like you've got okay. these folks who took music from the future and brought it to the present. Okay. And, 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 and did they have a date? 
in the future that this came from, or well, was this just a general future? It was like, did it come from thirty fifteen or? It came from the future. Okay. <laughs> okay. That one. Right. That one. Right. And, and, right. But but the thing about it is, what's really cool is that you can listen to some stuff from the eighties. Yeah. And it'll sound like it's new compared to what's out now, and it doesn't really. It doesn't really have a time frame. Right. And so I think that's what's kind of cool about it is that that music itself doesn't really function on that linear time scale. Right. Because the premise is that it was music from the, the future. future coming into the present. So now the present is playing this futuristic music, so then that changes what the future is. Yes, so. I think that's very interesting. I think, and I do think that that... Um, it sort of fits that that would be the music that comes out of Detroit mm -hmm. and Berlin. Um, you know, and particularly Detroit, because I could see Detroit coming up with a, a music that is coming from the future, is looking towards the future and coming yeah. from the future. Well, and I, and I think Detroit needed that at yes. the time because there were so many. The present wasn't so hot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think the Detroit needed something good from the future, and so these these guys went and brought it. Yeah, you know, pulled pulled the future mm -hmm. uh, to when it was needed. You know, they, we can't wait for another right. ten twenty years. We're gonna go get it now and, and bring it back in time, so where where it's needed. And now, did techno? The rise of techno, did it occur simultaneously in Berlin and Detroit? Or no. was it first in Berlin and then in Detroit? Or? No, 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 first in Detroit. First in Detroit, yeah, okay. De De Detroit is where it was created. Okay. And what happened is, I think in the early 90s, uh, really, again, this Club Trezor that I was talking about really was the, the pioneering club. And they were bringing all of these people from Detroit over to Berlin. Okay. And so a lot of people who were doing this music uh, in Detroit found a home there because here's this city that's listening to this, you know, 24 7 and, right. and, and deep in it. And so a lot of people got real comfortable. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's probably why there's so many Detroit people there now. Yes. You know, but... Uh, you know, so it's interesting that they, that um, we're talking about a movie that is, as you're saying, so very much Berlin, and yet the soundtrack from both techno to jazz, the soundtrack is American yeah. in origin. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I think that goes back to this idea of Berlin being this international city. Yeah. And it being very much... You know, a, a place where it kind of wears its influences on its sleeve. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not shy about saying, hey, yeah, we got this from this place or we got yeah. this from that place. And and so I think that's actually kind of refreshing to see that. Yeah. Uh, a place that's that's open about it and, mm -hmm. and embraces that. You know, I, I wish some other places would do the same. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so, uh, so, yeah, I think that that's... That's it, and and again, the, you know, techno had made a home there. Mm -hmm. So, again, you're gonna have that Detroit connection, no matter what, just based yeah. on that. Um, and truth be told, not that <laughs> you know people don't want to mess with films once they're done. They're, yes. like, they're like, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. Right. But it'd be kind of wild if there was a Run Lola Run set in Detroit. 
Yes. Um, although they might be on scooters now. <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> or well, bikes. They're not on people walking or l- running in Detroit. L- let's not set it downtown. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be downtown. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the name? Midtown or whatever. Yeah, Cass Corridor. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not allowed to call it that now, apparently. Oh, oh gosh. I've, that's the rumor that I've heard. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. What am I? What am I supposed to call it? It's Midtown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is Midtown generally. It's Cass Corridor specifically. Hey, that, like I said, people people are very possessive about terminology, and they want to rebrand everything. Jeez, oh, you know. So yeah, that's the thing. So, so my thing is, Detroit has enough uh, raw Detroit. Yes. Where I'm like, nah, you do it in the raw Detroit. In fact, we can do it up on McNichols and. <laughs> you know what? We should get in contact with Tom uh, Twicker. Because I'm sure that's easy to do. <laughs> you know what? Why not? You know, yeah. I was like, no, no, I'm going to touch him. Because this is, that would be the bomb to have him come to Detroit and do. And do a run, Lola run. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very. That would be very cool. Oh my gosh, that'd be nuts. Yes. Be, okay, well, you know what? Okay. Every, they got to uh, get a Detroiter, an actress oh, from yeah, Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we got plenty. Oh yeah. Oh you know, yeah. I mean, for all the roles, we got oh, we yeah. got the people. Oh yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's actually not a big cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There's not. It, it doesn't require you know a cast of thousands. No, you know? no, so, it's maybe a cast of fifty. I mean, you know, right? If, total, if, if, if I mean, including yeah, extras. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, because I mean, the, what is it? Cause the casino scene was like the was the most, most people. The bank scene, there, there. Yeah, people, yeah. But yeah. but it's like if you counted the people who actually speak. Yeah. I yeah. don't think twenty people speak. Yeah, yeah. So now, so this is this is okay, so this is our new project. Yes. Okay, so you know. You, can't tell anybody. Okay, <laughs> except can, for everyone. We can, we can we can we can say it. Yeah, and they can find out in two weeks. But by then, we have to get in contact with the director. Yes, and set this up. I'm I'm ready. I am ready. All right. You you got me excited now. <laughs> you know I'm gonna tell you. See, this let's is, get on this. this. This is why I like stuff like this because yeah. this stuff comes. I'm I'm. I, you think I'm joking? No, I know you're not. <laughs> I know you're not. And I'll and I'll and I'll be the photographer. I'll take the stills during the during yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. See, she and you guys, you, you guys do the soundtrack. You gotta do the soundtrack. It. That is it. That's it. It's it's perfect. It, it really is. You know the story. And twenty years later, you know. Right. I mean, it's you know the story writes itself. It's it's funny because I actually saw something about I can't remember who wrote it, but they were talking about how if um, the difference between Run Lola Run then and if it, and if it were made now, mm-hmm. and he, they they felt that if it were made now, as soon as she heard she needed that money, she'd just um, create a GoFundMe campaign <laughs> and, and sit back and watch the money roll in hey. with a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter or PayPal and Cash App. Hey, you know what? Well, just <laughs> just do it te- technically and never have to leave the. Their house. Well, well, what it is is it's that twenty minute thing <laughs> yes, that that, that, yes. that puts it. And I have to say this too. Now, I guess I got to watch it again to, to get it. But that seems a bit longer than twenty minutes. Well, it's not. It's well, 
You mean each specific, each I'm, I'm each saying that, to, that to, to get across town and to meet up with them and all this stuff, I'm like, the, the traffic alone. Well, she is running. <laughs> she's, not dra- she's not in the traffic. That, she is that running. That is true. That is true. She, uh, she's quite the runner. She is fast, <laughs> yes. Uh, you would have to be in, in your 20s to do that to do that role. I mean, to, I'd to pass get, out. You know, to, 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 do, to, to do all that running and to get to him and to and to get to the casino to make the money. And she barely looks her. like she breaks a sweat. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, she's cool with this. Yeah, this you is know, like her thing. Well, well, maybe the secret is that Lola actually is an Olympian. <laughs> yes. You know, and they didn't deal with that part about it. This, the movie is about what happens after the Olympics. Right. When you right. find yourself struggling to get by, you don't get the endorsements. Right. What what happens to you then? And Lola is telling the story of this yes. this, yes. this she Olympic certainly has runner. The, she has the body for it. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She definitely has the body of an Olympic runner. Yeah, there we That's there we hilarious. go. So, so we we found the story behind That's the story. That's the story behind <laughs> the story. That's her inner monologue. Yes, I am a cross country runner, so running across Berlin and. Ten minutes is nothing. Yeah, yeah. She's like, whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, and that's then, hilarious. You know, and then you know all this stuff with her father. We haven't talked about her father. Yes, he's an interesting character. Um, he's only in. I think he's only in two of the sequences. In, in two of them, yeah, yeah. In the first one, he's very unkind. Yes. Yes. Granted, she is making quite a quite a request, <laughs> and I wouldn't, you know, I'm not entirely against him in terms of having a reaction to that request. But the but way he takes he does, it a little too far. Yes, yes. He's, I mean, he disowns her. <laughs> I mean, he is brutal. He's, yes. he's horrible. But in that second, in the next one, he gets it. He gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets it. His uh. His, I mean, initially, just so that folks know, his, and and I guess we got to tell people. You should tell people. In the beginning, we do, we're doing spoilers. This is nothing but spoilers. Well, the movie came out in 1998, well, so true, if you true, haven't true. seen it, you know what? You know, you've had time. You you should you should <laughs> and, be required to you, see these movies before we before you come over here because yes. you know that's the thing. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna put all the information. Out yes, there. yes. Okay, but I don't think that it. I feel like it's a, a good enough movie. That even if you know things about it beforehand, it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of it. Oh yeah, no, no, no. and how it unfolds. Because, because the thing is, the experience of the movie yes. is is what it is. So, so to jump back to to, to to dad, good old dad. Yes. He's having an affair. Yes. And and so, initially, uh, he's he's very nasty towards her because it's like uh, you know you're not mine. And, I'm going to leave you, you know, and your mother, and I'm going to go marry this other woman. Yeah, he's like, you know, basically the hell with you. Right. You know, the next time around, though, the mistress actually has time to tell him that, yes, she's pregnant, but the baby isn't his. And I've always wondered, was the baby always not his, or did that change in the next scenario? Like if if she had had time in the first scenario, mm-hmm. would the kid have been his, or did that you know? Well, you know that's that's an interesting thing in terms of causality and whatnot. Yeah, I, I like to think that the the same premises are there, mm-hmm. 
so that now the thing is when he's saying this to Lola I don't know if he's telling the truth or if he's just being nasty because he's just being a a nasty guy who's like I don't want to deal with it but I think that you know his position as somebody who you know maybe and, and it could be maybe you know he likes people who cheat Maybe that's his thing. And so, you know, uh, Lolo's mother is like, whatever. I'm not worried about it because I know what you're like. And the mistress is like, that's right. And I know what you're like. And Mm -hmm. so, and so in the end, you know. He may have cheated on someone else with Lolo's mother. Right, right. So, so ultimately, in the end, he doesn't really have any kids to disown. Right. You know, so he went from disowning the one that he thought he had or that, you know, whatever, yeah. to to having none. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's the, the crazy thing. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it's like karma. And I think he is, it's definitely like karma. In the third, technically he is in the third scenario, but we don't. <laughs> He gets in the car. Yeah, yeah, we don't. With, Air, with the guy, with his friend. Yes. Yeah, and she's, because she's screaming at him. Yeah. In the third one. That's why she goes to the casino, if I'm, if I'm correct. I think so, yeah. Because yeah. she goes to the bank first, but gets there too late, and he's getting in the car and is left. Yeah. And so, um, it'd be interesting to have heard what that conversation was that third time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's what, why she ends up going to the casino to, to make the money. Right, because she needs something. Because she needs some something. Kind of way. Yes. You know, and she's got that scream. Yes. And she has got that scream. It's interesting, though, when she chooses to use it, because why didn't she use it then? On her dad. She could have broken the windows of that car. But I, th- but I think, yeah. you know, the, the level of pressure. Yes. You know, it's it's got to be to this it's stress point. stress-induced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the kettle. You yeah. Know, the kettle gets hot. Yeah. And then it starts to do it. It's not yeah. going to whistle before it gets super hot. Right, right, you know? and right. I th- and I think that that's what was happening with her is that she needed to to get to that point. Like, like Carrie. Yeah. I mean, Carrie never really had any control until she was, you know, publicly embarrassed and 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 just right. humi- humiliated. Right. You know, it took her being humiliated to actually to take that control. Extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it was like, okay, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that's the link with Lola is that Lola again. I think she has to be in those situations whereby mm-hmm. she feels like she doesn't have anywhere to turn, or she doesn't, or she's got this this whatever, and it's just. This primal scream, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's cool though. That's cool. Yeah. Well, this has been a awesome <laughs> conversation about Run Lola Run that we could probably go on for another two hours on. Hey, hey, you know, I, I tell you, well, we, we we've gone down some rabbit holes. Yes, we have. So. We, and the beginning is just the end. And the that's right. That's right. And and true. And it is even yeah. in the case of this conversation. Yes. Because yes. there's stuff I'm gonna do after I leave here. Yes. I'm gonna be reaching out to some people. 
<laughs> so, hey. hey. Yes, yes. Um, so I'd love to thank my guest, Cornelius Harris. I'd like to thank you for, for having me here. Thank you for listening to The Real Woman Podcast. This will be the final episode of this year, taking a little time off for the holidays. But please join me January 9th when we start up again with new guests, new topics, and new movies. Thank you. Good night.